We've had a long break, but uh, I hope we can begin and uh, we can uh, uh, finish our portion, right? Yeah, so I hope uh, we are going to do that. And we, have, we were dealing with Exodus. I don't remember where we stopped, right? But the Exodus is this long history of, uh, or if it's not history, I do, uh, we talked about myth and history and the idea of uh, the idea of faith, the idea of myth, the idea of history and the idea of the Bible uh, when we are talking about uh, uh, John Wycliffe, right? And the idea of the letter of the word or the letter of the Bible and the actual uh, kind of uh, and the question of reality, right? So we're talking about people who believe that the Bible is the word of God and will defend even the, the crimes that the Israelis commit towards the Palestinians in the name of saying that... Oh, I have to recall this here. Yeah. Uh, in, in the name of saying that this is God, God's word, right? Now, for many people, the Bible is the word of God. Every letter is important. All those kind of things are true. And that's exactly why you have all the opposition to poor Wycliffe and all the other people who try to translate the Bible because they thought that God spoke a certain language. And we know that God didn't speak any language. We're talking about a human faith experience and we know that God doesn't speak any language and all if we take a Jungian point of view right uh, Jung says that uh, the Bible says of course that man is made in the image and likeness of God Jung turns it around and says uh, God is made in the image and likeness of human beings right yeah so you can have that uh, kind of uh, reading of the Bible over here Right now, when you're talking about the question of the Jews, it's also a question of a group and the kind of slave uh, which we've already talked about. Right, the idea of the slave kind of community that is writing about their history. Right, and it's what you call slave literature. Right, Exodus, but in particular, is a question of getting out of slavery into a land of freedom and looking for the promised land, right? Yeah, and for many people who are Bible scholars and thinkers about the Bible, the idea of the Exodus is not finding the promised land, right? Moses never reaches the promised land, right? So the idea, of course, is looking at the metaphor of the journey and the trials and hardships you have in the journey which is also seen in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, right? The idea is that every human being is a journeyer, is journeying on their way to perfection or to heaven or whatever that is, right? Yeah, but we're all travelers, we're all journeymen, right? And that's, of course, very strongly put in the idea of the Passover, right? And the idea of the Exodus, when you have this idea of uh, the Jews leaving Egypt and uh, the, uh, the angel of God telling them that they have to have a meal together. And when they have the meal together, they're supposed to be dressed 
for a journey, right? Yeah, and they're going to cut a goat, and they're going to sprinkle the blood of the goat on the on the lintel of the house, so that when the angel of death passes by, the houses that are of the Jews will be protected, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what happens over there, right? Of course, we did the part where we are talking about the murder of all the male children and the kind of genocide which still happens in the world, not only in uh, the world of Egypt, but happens in other worlds also, even today, right? Yeah, so you get the idea of the genocide of a whole population, right? And of course, here they ask for only male children to be uh, sacrificed, right? So you might want to think about the idea of what makes people do all this and of course perhaps you might get a record of this right and that's one the second thing is it is important for the christians the jews of course don't believe in the new testament but the new the second part of the bible is called the new testament yeah we talked about the torah and pentateuch last time but when we are talking about the new testament why is exodus so important right why is Exodus so important to the Christians also, right? Because in the New Testament, you have, uh, this is what is in biblical terms or in the language of uh, Bible scholars is what you call prefiguration, right? That is, it's as if the story of Christ is written in the Old Testament, right? Yeah, so they go back to the Exodus and they're talking about the the question of Christ being crucified, Christ being put on the cross, right? And the idea is the time frame is almost the same. So the idea of supper, the last supper, right? And the idea of the Jews leaving Egypt and getting dressed, right? So these things are something that you might find a parallel in the New Testament also, right? So the idea is, of course, that when the New Testament is written, it's supposed to have all these inbuilt kinds of symbols and signs so that you look back at it and say, well, this happened in the New Testament, but it's actually pointing to the Old Testament, right? So for us as literature students and as culture studies students, what is important is that we are looking at the idea of culture and we are looking at the idea of uh, uh, the idea of scripture, the idea of culture, the idea of religion, right? And we are actually looking at the idea of history, right? And the idea of writing, right? And what what are the kinds of symbols that we use to say that the New Testament is authentic, right? The New Testament is actually continuing from the Old Testament, right? As we know, the Old Testament and the New Testament and all those things didn't exist. Uh, till a man called Jerome came, comes up and he is the one who write, puts this whole idea of the Bible together and he takes all the old books that are on scrolls, right? The Pentateuch and the Torah, which are the Jewish scripts and you talk about all the new books, which are the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and the letters and the Acts of the Apostles, right? That's the New Testament, the four Gospels. The, the letters and the Acts of the Apostles are the New Testament, right? Yeah. And uh, what happens in the Old Testament is what we are studying about Exodus, right? Okay, and I will talk about Job again. I hope uh, 
that uh, people will get in our problems about Exodus and I hope you've read the text, right? Because the text itself and the story of the text is one thing, but there are also other kinds of ways of reading it because you're talking about the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, right? Yeah? And the idea of the presence of God coming in all those kinds of symbols, right? Another important symbol that we're talking about is the earthquake, right? And for the Jews, the earthquake is a symbol of God, right? An earthquake is the presence of the symbol of God. And a sea quake, you'll actually find that in the New Testament, right? A sea quake is when you're talking about the presence of the devil, right? So you have the idea of the devil, also called Leviathan, and the idea of Satan, Leviathan. Of course, those are not stable terms. And what exactly is Satan? Or was Satan always there? All those questions are always a problem. And these things seem to have come at a later point in writing the Bible and uh, a later point in religion. When you're talking about good and evil, you get the devil, you get Satan, you get all those kind of things, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, uh, in Job you might find Satan as an elder son of God or something of the sort, right? Yeah, so you have some very, uh, a, a lot of contradictions, which is interesting, right? Because we are studying uh, text with a lot of contradictions and that's what uh, the idea of the mythological is, right? The idea of uh, an oral narrative, not oral literature, but an oral narrative is always full of a, a kind of inconsistencies, right? Yeah, and that's what is interesting about it, right? So we actually study uh, things that are inconsistent. It might seem illogical at some point of time, right? And this is why it's interesting, right? Yeah, now, if anybody is going to say, well, let's go and look for the remnants of all these things, and many people are actually doing that, right? So you have the Ark of the Covenant, which is supposed to be a very important kind of landmark, right? And many people trace it to Ethiopia, right? And they have all these churches, um, and you have to go from, by boat from one place to the other, right? And people would say that that's where the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is, right? Yeah, so what is important is, the Ark of the Covenant is also supposed to be something that is placed in the Temple of Herod uh, that's uh, built a little before or about the time of Christ, right? Yeah, so the Herod's Temple is important because they are supposed to have put the Ark of the Covenant into the Temple, right? Now, whether it's true or not true, uh, we don't know, right? Yeah, so uh, there are interesting things also that we have in the Exodus, right? And we have this man called Moses who is being sent out into the desert, right? And yeah, so you have that kind of prefiguration and that's why the Exodus is important because you have a similar kind of experience in the life of Christ before Christ starts his mission, right? Yeah, so you have Christ who goes for 40 days uh, and 40 nights into the desert, right? And the 40 is the 40 years of uh, the uh, the exodus, right? So the 40 years of the Jews wandering after leaving Egypt, right? So that 40 years is again 40 days and 40 nights. And a lot of people who are practicing Christians sometimes 
uh, fast for 40 days and 40 nights, right? Yeah, so you get these numbers which are very important because for the Jews, uh, you have the Kabbalah which is a system of a number system and numbers are important, right? Uh, like in our own systems, you have three and you have three different Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva, right? You have three persons in God. You have in uh, Greek mythology, you have the three-headed dog, the three goggins, the three fates, right? So uh, three is looked at as a kind of a mystical number across religions and across faiths and across different kinds of ideas in the world, right? Yeah, so that's something that one, if one studies with a dispassionate kind of uh, understanding and be looking at different cultures, you will find that when you're talking about the Bible or you're talking about Indian religion or you're talking about Greek and Roman myths, right? Yeah, or yeah, you'll find three coming up again. Yeah, Semiron or Datatriya you have in India, right? Yeah, you have the three and Shiva, all those kind of things. All these uh, things keep repeating in Greek mythology, in Indian uh, culture, and also in the Judaic kind of scripture, right? Yeah, so the numbers become important, and that's something else that you might like to think about and look at, right? Yeah, so you have, of course, uh, a big part of the Exodus, and what creates the Exodus is the ten plagues of Egypt, right? Now, when you read about the ten plagues of Egypt, the idea is uh, in the narrative of the Exodus, you're talking about God and you're talking about God and these are the chosen people of God, right? For that, you have to go to the idea of Genesis and we have to talk about the story of Abraham and the idea that Abraham is taken by God and promised by God that he would have uh, uh, descendants as numerous as the heavens and as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore, right? As numerous as stars and as grains of sand on the seashore, it means that he would have a long kind of succession, right? Now, why is a long kind of succession important, right? And why does this happen again and again in the Bible? Because the idea of a slave race of people is also the idea of can we survive, right? Yeah, so the idea of killing off the male's children is something that a slave race uh, is very conscious about, right? If you're killing off the children, that means you're killing off the chance of the, the community surviving, the people surviving, and uh, that's exactly why all these things are mentioned, right? Yeah, it's, I'm not trying to say that it never happened, uh, or we, maybe there are historical records, maybe there aren't, right? But in the question of writing a literature, we are actually talking about how important is this? Why does this occur, right? That's how we look at literature. And why does this, why do people mention something, right? If something is there, why is it mentioned, right? And everything that is mentioned is supposed to have some kind of narrative purpose, right? So when you're talking about the years in the desert, right? And the years of slavery, we're talking about different things that are happening, right? We're talking about in the land of Egypt, what are the kinds of trials and tribulations the Jews faced, right? And the question is, it's also telling 
the Jews. It's also telling the people who are reading that this is our past, right? We have suffered. We as a collective people have suffered, right? And as a collective, we have our ancestors and our ancestors before them and before them and before them. They all remembered that this is what has happened to us. So it has to be something that has got to be conveyed to the next generation and the next generation till doomsday, right? Till the end of the world, right? So you can't give up because this is what is promised to us by God and that's a kind of faith uh, that they have or they believe in, right? Now, we can't do that and we can't say that this is true and this is, God has promised them, right? And what about other people? God has not promised other people, right? Yeah? Or what happens to all the people who are not Jews, right? All the Hindus, the Muslims, the Christians, the, uh, the Parsis, the Shintos, uh, the Buddhists, uh, the Jains, and whoever and whatever kind of religion, the sky religion and the cloud religion and whatever religion you have, or no religion at all, right? Yeah. So if you if you believe all that thing is true, then you're falling into the idea of belief, right? Which of course we are not into because we are studying uh, the text dispassionately, right? So at one level you have Wycliffe and Wycliffe's Bible, right? And Wycliffe is translating it, right? And the idea of him translating it itself becomes a problem because it's for all the purists who believe that God spoke Hebrew. Some people actually believe that, right? And some people believe that the, uh, the language that God spoke was Latin, right? And now when we talk about the translation, that, that is when the myth gets broken, right? Yeah. So what, long, what language did God speak? Or you have the Negro spiritual which says, what color is God's skin? Right? Now these are things that throw up a lot of questions and make life very, very complicated, right? For all the people who actually believe, right? Yeah. So uh, when we look at uh, religion or comparative religions, we find there are a lot of things are repeated across cultures and across mythologies, and we have a lot of similar stories over there, right? So that deflates anybody who wants to say, well, the Pushpak Viman was up actually there. And Stephen and Daedalus, uh, uh, what's this called? Uh, Icarus and Daedalus actually flew up to the sky. Or the Aladdin's carpet was actually there, right? So that's where uh, the idea of myth and history come into conflict, right? Yeah. Though so some people might like to conflate history and myth together and try to make something mythical look as if it's something historical or give a, a very rational explanation like many uh, good people do right across religions right where you have people who actually try to show you that God made the world what we're talking about evolution and we're talking about so many millions of years in the Bible is talked about as one day right because for God one day uh, is a huge million of years right now that's bad explanation and uh, we don't buy that okay I don't buy it right somebody else might, right? And they might show you how evolution is already mentioned in the Bible and many people who talk all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah? But if all that thing is true, then uh, if everything is historical and everything is true, right? Then it, it, then all the rest of the people must commit suicide because we're not chosen people, right? Yeah? And that's something that nobody's going to do, right? 
and uh, the question of any religious text, whichever way we look at it, right? And when we study comparative, comparative religions, I think we need to look at all those kind of things that's happened, right? Yeah. And when we're taking the Bible up, we are talking about our own world, which is polytheistic, right? Yeah. And we've got many gods, we've got many kinds of religions and many kinds of beliefs, right? And some of it is not written down as systematically as the Bible is written down by the Jews and uh, also later by the Christians, right? So that's one of the things. And a lot of other things are not there in the Bible. And that's what is called tradition, right? Uh, 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 so you might get all that tradition which is written down and uh, documented by the priest in the Christian world and in the Judaic world, right? So that, that is uh, something that uh, the religion is not only the Bible and only the written word of the Bible is not everything, right? And that's where a lot of uh, uh, people who call themselves are in trouble. Hello, I've got a class. Can I call you later? So, when we're talking about uh, the idea of the Puritans, right, they're actually people who do not consider all these exterior kind of uh, traditions that are associated with religion, whether it's the Judaic, uh, Judaic religion or the Christian religion, right, and they're going by something in which is called the literary, that is, we're talking only about something that is called the text, right? And that's what is important for the Puritans and that's important for us as literature students because when we talk about the Puritans, we're talking about them giving us a technique of reading which is called New Criticism, which comes largely uh, not only from the Puritans, of course it was done in England and in the United States, right? But that's some kind of criticism that is concentrating on the text, right? And for that, I think we have to be uh, acknowledging of the Puritans, right? But at the same time, when we're talking about the whole idea of Christianity and Judaism, there are so many things that are not mentioned in the text become, which become important, right? So uh, that's, of course, people who are studying religion would go and study all that, right? We are talking about the text and we're talking about faith and we're talking about history, right? And we're talking about narrative because that's what we're doing as literature students, right? We're talking about the narrative of what happens to the Jews, okay? What are the kinds of troubles that they face in Egypt, right? And you get a person who's a kind of a leader who is a man called Moses and he's the one who's supposed to be liberating all these people from oppression, yeah? And that's why freedom becomes such an important element, right? Now, freedom, as we know, is something that all human beings aspire towards. Nobody wants to be oppressed, right? And if somebody likes the oppression, then there's something perhaps wrong with them, right? Yeah, or that's what we think in today's 20th century world, right? Yeah, if we like the oppressor and we like to be oppressed, and we don't have a problem if somebody rules us and colonizes us and shoves us down and doesn't give us a freedom, right? Uh, that is something in the 20th century world which might look as uh, uh, quite odd and quite strange, right? Yeah. And when we're talking about the Exodus, 
the exodus is a question of a fight for freedom right when we're talking about india in the narrative of india when we're talking about india as a country and as a people and all those kind of things right uh, yeah uh, we are actually talking about ourselves as people who have fought for freedom right yeah not us but the uh, grandfathers and great grandfathers and all the people who are part of the freedom struggle of india they fought for freedom right yeah so when you're talking about the jews of course uh, if we are not a, a, we are supposed to be a nation right so we're talking about the nation right and you have a lot of studies about the jews and talking about a nation yeah without a country right a nation that is you have a people who believe that they are one people right so that's the idea of the nation and they're still looking for the promised land right yeah so god has given them a land whose which is going to flow with milk and honey and that's the kind of ideology or that's the kind of imagery that you have when you're talking about the land uh, which is going to be the land of the jews right yeah or the israelites whichever you want to use israelites is because jacob wrestles with the angel he's called israel right and his descendants will be called israelites right so that's something else that is important for us and when we're talking about the exodus we're talking about all the reversals that also happen right because we're talking about something that is not only uh Uh, religious we are not talking about something that is only uh, a question of freedom but then the question is uh, talking about self governance right and the idea of governance in the desert and the idea is the idea of leadership who is going to lead right so you have uh, moses you have aaron right you have some leaders who are coming over there and showing you the way in the desert right so you have leadership you have the 12 tribes already which we know about that is the 12 sons of uh Isaac uh Jacob right yeah and uh, that's when bigger Joseph who moves around who uh, they sell and uh, they create a plot and they send him away to some traveling caravan right uh Jacob uh, uh uh so you have Joseph who is caught right and that's how the Jews go and settle in Egypt right and we have talked about that in the earlier classes right so what happens is the idea of traveling through the desert and having different kinds of episodes in the desert is something that's very important for the exodus right and we're talking about 40 years right and 40 years is a long long time right and some people uh perhaps are born just before they leave egypt right and have to spend so much of time in the desert right so the exodus is not something that happens overnight right leaving egypt is something that happens overnight right or seems to be overnight but it's not overnight even there because pharaoh keeps uh changing his mind right so so you have the plague of egypt and with every plague moses goes and tries to tell pharaoh this is god telling you let my people go right or let my people be free right and you have different kinds of uh, of plague of egypt 
which of course today if you are rational and scientific you would look at it from a scientific manner right like for instance when the nile turns to blood today we know with our understanding of geology right that there is something called silting of the nile right and when the nile silts the and the bible doesn't say turns to blood it almost looks yeah it's almost the color of blood or it's like blood or something of the sort right so the idea of metaphor the idea of language is again very important right so you have frogs you have locusts you have all and you've got different ten different plagues right and the last of course is worst because what pharaoh has designed for the israelis uh, or the the male children of all the israelis right that's something that becomes the uh, the way that uh, god is supposed to take revenge for the israelis right which of course today we might think uh, after christianity we might look at it and say well what kind of a god is that right a god who takes revenge is a bad kind of god right but that that's a kind of god that you have in the old testament right a vengeful god who takes revenge for his people right so that's again something that we learn because in the new testament the the god is supposed to be a god is supposed to be a god of love right yeah and is not a, a god that uh, is vengeful and is demanding uh, that uh, i get my revenge because you've done this to my people etc right yeah but in the in the exodus and in the old testament we're talking about a god of justice a god who is a very jealous god right yeah and a god who doesn't want any other god before him and that's exactly what happens when moses meets a man uh, a god called yahweh on the mount on uh, the mount sinai when he's going there and he finds the burning bush right now the idea is uh, he, that's the uh, the story that we have right and the in, when he sees the bush burning it's by some mysterious kind of light that it burns and it doesn't get extinguished right and it doesn't stop and there's nothing to keep it burning right now if you have a scientific explanation you might say well that's a mirage uh, okay that's what or you might say that the desert heat has driven moses mad right all those kind of explanations are possible right but uh, it's interesting that the narrative tells us that this bush doesn't get consumed right it doesn't get burnt to cinders right and one wonders what is there to keep the bush burning right so that's one and uh, the idea that moses hears a voice which says uh, take off your slippers or take off your sandals okay whatever that is right for uh, the the ground you stand on is holy ground right and then moses asks a very important question who are you right and god says i am who i am right that is what becomes an important part of jewish philosophy and a lot of important part of what you call the bible right because the jews are not supposed to take the name of god right so when they write yehovah or yahweh or whatever that is they take away all the vowels right yeah so that's how the israelite 
or the uh, way of writing, the Hebrew way of writing is, right? So if you take out the vowels of your name, try to pronounce your name, right? You can't pronounce your name, right? So you're not supposed to pronounce the name of God. You're not supposed to have an image of God, right? Yeah, uh, not even an image of God. And the and this is how they the uh, the Jewish religion evolves, right? So first of all, it is bound in history. It is bound in also the idea of faith that God is going to take us and show us the way, right? So I do not know where I'm traveling in the desert. I might be going round and round, but I know that God is taking me forth and God will be in two important symbols, the symbol of the cloud and the symbol of fire, right? Yeah, so that's something that uh, is uh, constantly, and the idea of this, uh, the cloud that's leading them forward and the presence of God is shown over there, right? So when we're talking about the Exodus as literature, we're talking about the absence and presence of God, right? Because that becomes a very important thing in literature today, right? We're talking about absences and presences, right? So we talk about the idea that uh, God is always present, either as an earthquake or as a gentle wind or as fire or as a cloud and all those kind of things, right? We also have something called mana, that's a kind of a bread which comes from heaven, right? Now people say, say that, well, it's, it's some kind of a fungus and that might be true, right? Because that might be happening in, the, uh, in different kinds of climates, right? Yeah, and these, the Israelites eat it, right? But as far as they're concerned, it's because of the faith uh, in God that they look at this as a bread from heaven. So manna is the kind of bread from heaven, right? Yeah, so uh, you will get all these kind of things which are strange, which of course uh, some people actually believe it's true, right? A lot of Israelites might believe it's true. A lot of Jews believe it's true. A lot of Christians also might believe that something like that actually happened and that's uh, and we are trying to find out what it is, right? Yeah, maybe we've not found the mana and what is this kind of mana in the desert, right? Yeah, so the idea is God is looking after his people, right? So what is mana symbol a symbol of, right? That God doesn't desert you, right? God is taking you through all the troubles and the desert becomes a symbolic kind of territory where uh, there is nothing and you have to be uh, you have to go through the desert and experience the desert and the hardships of the desert because the desert is full of very dangerous kind of snakes, right? The desert is also subject to heat and cold and the desert is also a place uh, 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 where you can get lost, right? You, you might lose your way, you don't have water, all these things exist when we're talking about the desert, right? So uh, when we're talking uh, about the exodus, the exodus is this kind of faith experience at one level. Another level, it's a kind of a community spirit, right? Because all of us are in the same boat. We don't have a house. We've left Egypt. We are going and we're trusting in God and going on, right? So the kind of energy that you get about getting out of Egypt and moving, right? Whether you're young or old is that you go into this idea called 
the promised land, right? And all of us are trying for this idea of whether we believe in God or don't believe in God or whatever that is. Yeah, we we all believe as human beings. We all believe that we will have a better land someday, right? Yeah, nobody ever thinks that our land is going to be even worse, right? Nobody thinks that the world is going to be worse, right? The minute we think about that, then or or think like that, that means there's something really gone wrong, either with the government that is ruling us or with ourselves, right? Yeah. So uh, we normally have this idea that how do we make the world a better place, right? And with that kind of faith and that the kind of hope, right? You set out on a journey, otherwise you won't make the journey, right? And this is very logical, right? If I don't know whether I'm going to reach my destination or not, why will I get up, right? And that's exactly what happens to some of the people, perhaps in 40 years, because 40 years is a long time, right? 40 years, some people would never reach, right? And then you get these kind of faith or religious. Kind of explanations about why they haven't reached, right? And you get Moses himself who doesn't reach, right? And then you have the story where they're talking about striking the rock. There's no water, right? So you have this idea that uh, God tells Aaron to uh, use his rod and strike the rock, right? And the idea is Moses doubts it and strikes twice. So the idea is he doubted God, and that's why God didn't let him really reach the promised land, right? Of course. Some people would say that, well, perhaps Moses was eaten by the foxes when he went up the mount, right? Yeah, and for them, the Mount Sinai is a kind of the, the the religious mountain of God, right? So the presence of God is from uh, is seen in the earthquakes. Okay, so we have a commonality between what we have there and what we have in what you call animistic religion, that is the religion of the Adivasis of the tribes. Right or the Aboriginal people all over the world, uh, <clears throat> they worship lightning, they worship thunder, and you have all that thing happening in the Bible also in the Exodus and other places. Right? Yeah. So from animistic worship, you get your kind of religion that you have. Right? So when we're looking at the Exodus, one is to talk about the motif of the journey. Right? The other. Is a motif of God and the presence of God in different kinds of forms, right? Whether it's a cloud, uh, whether it's a fire, whether it's by the presence of giving manna in the desert, whether it's telling the leader to strike water and uh, strike a rock and water comes out of it, right? Yeah, of course these might have scientific explanations, but the most important thing when we're talking about the Exodus is when they're walking out of Egypt. And Pharaoh changes his mind for the last time, right? Yeah. After the, after he orders the slaughtering again of the innocents, right? You have the idea of, of course, there's a different Pharaoh from Moses' time, right? Uh, you have the idea that the angel of God comes and kills all the firstborn, right? Of course, I don't believe in that. Because in the New Testament, God is the God of love, right? Yeah, and this is perhaps a natural calamity that takes place, right? Yeah. So, how do we read the read this book from today's point of view, right? So there is a natural calamity which might be affecting only male children above uh, about so much of an age, right? Yeah. So that's it, right? But 
the way or the language of the Bible is talking about the angel of the Lord passing by and whichever house doesn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, right? Yeah, that uh, is something that uh, God visits and the angel of the Lord visits and smites them and the firstborn or the male child is killed, right? Or dies, okay? Right? And that's enough to tell and Moses goes and tells them because we're not living in a scientific world today, right? Like, for instance, we also have myths about a wonderful COVID-19 virus, right? And a lot of myths are being circulated. Some myths are about it being created in a laboratory, right? And that's a real fantastic myth, right? Because the minute you can create a virus in a laboratory, right, and propagate it all over the world, right, then we're into some really advanced uh, kind of biological warfare, right? And we perhaps don't need missiles and Pokhran 1 and Pokhran 2 and whatever the, uh, yeah, whatever the other people have, right? That is in China, in, uh, in the USA, in the, uh, the old USSR, okay? All those missiles and all those weapons of war are not required because biological warfare through viruses is possible, right? Yeah. So I don't know how much uh, uh, how much you believe in all these, right? And we have to think about it very critically because uh, the idea of separating fact from myth, right? So you'll get a lot of stories which seem fantastic, right? And one is to look at the faith experience, right? And that the people had faith, and that's why they follow a leader. They have faith in a leader and Moses and his brother Aaron are such leaders, right? So one, so you get those very powerful kind of characters and who are consulted all the time in the, in the Exodus, right? And they're the ones who actually lead the Jews, right? So you have to have a leader and that's where it's a political text, right? You have to have a leader and without a leader, how do you go on this kind of journey to find your promised land? Right? So, uh, and please tell me when it's time to stop because I have the bad habit of going on. Right? Yeah. So we're talking about the idea of leadership. Right? You're talking about the idea of, uh, yeah, and that becomes an important idea because uh, when, even when we come to American literature and we uh, talk about Christianity and we're talking about the Pilgrim Fathers, right? You have this group of people who are Puritans, right? Who don't believe in the in the rituals of the Catholic Church and even the Anglican Church and maybe the Lutheran Church, right? But they believe in the Bible and they also believe that they call themselves Presbyterians, right? And Presbyteria is a person who is a leader, right? Yeah, it's not the idea of the Pujari, right? Yeah, so one is uh, the you might call them priest because the English language calls them priest, right? But the difference between a presbyter and a priest, okay, is not a priest who performs the rituals, right? Yeah, of course you the priest might do all that also, right? But the idea is that the presbyter uh, or these are leaders, right? So you have to lead the people, right? So the idea is from this idea of the Exodus comes a very complex idea. The idea of priesthood, right? So what is priesthood, right? Is a priest just a person who's performing a ritual sacrifice, right? Or is a priest much more than that, 
right? So all these questions come up and they still haunt a lot of Christian and Christian sects around, right? Because the Presbyterians will say, all of us are, all the, all the Christians or all the Presbyterians are what you call people who are leaders, right? And God has chosen everybody to be a leader, so why should you have one priest, right? So these are the issues that split the, the, the Christian congregation up and is still splitting them up into bigger and bigger bits, right? Yeah, but these are interesting because we are studying them and we are looking at the idea of uh, uh, the, the people of the congregation, right? All the people congregate together, right? Or crowd together, right? So that's one. Then we have the Presbyterians and we have these two people who are leaders, right? Or they have some kind of priestly class among them because you get that in uh, Leviticus, right? You're talking about who is going to be made a priest and what kind of a person can be made a priest and all those kind of uh, rules and regulations. And of course, uh, like our own Indian religions, you have uh, the idea of the pure and the pure and the uh, impure, right? Yeah, where uh, and you have all the male chauvinism where it says a woman having a period is not clean and she has to get herself clean and all those kind of really upsetting things. And it also goes into the idea of what you should eat and what you should not eat, right? And a lot of Islam and Judaism is talking about what meats are bad to eat and what meats are good to eat. So you don't eat the uh, you don't eat uh, pork, okay? And because it's a cloven-footed animal and all sorts of uh, things about that, right? But the mistakes also about eating rabbits, right? And rabbits are clean because they're vegetarian, right? But the Bible says no. That's a problem, right? And if you get onto uh, uh, Jewish airways, right, you can't have two milk dishes uh, on in the same meal, right? Yeah, so you can't have milk, tea, and cheese, or milk and butter, something like that, right? So I don't really know what kinds of uh, uh, issues they have, but there's a very dense kind of texture about what is to be done and what's not to be done, right? And that's something that besets the idea of the world of the Jews, right? Yeah, and slowly, uh, they don't, initially they don't start off like that, right? At one, and at another level, they're trying to show their difference from the Egyptians, right? They're trying to say that we are a different kind of race, right? And that's why we need a Sabbath day, right? Of course, many people might wonder, why do we have a Sabbath day? And the rational explanation, of course, is that you can't have people working all the days of the year, right? Just because they're slaves even, right? Uh, if you work for every day of your life, then life becomes boring and you re need a rest day, right? So that's the logical explanation. And what happens is Moses asks for a Sabbath day, right? And he says, according to the religion, you have to uh, use a day to pray to God, right? And of course, for the Egyptians, uh, the king or the pharaoh, is a king, uh, is a god also, right? If you have this idea of god king in the Egyptian form of worship, you also have that later in the Roman form of worship, right? So you have the idea that Caesar is a god and a king, right? Yeah, so that's a problem uh, which we have and in uh, uh, the idea of anarchy, which you, I'm sure you've read, right? Ambedkar is talking about bhakti in religion and bhakti in politics, right? Yeah. So he's talking about when you have bhakti in politics, 
you make a person into a god and that's detrimental to what you call a democracy right yeah of course what happens over here is that's taken care of with the jews because if anybody makes himself into a god right and that's exactly why christ is put to death right if anybody claims to have a descent to god or anything of the sort that means he's a blasphemer right and he has to be put to death right and the mosaic law or the law of moses says that they should be stoned to death right yeah and if christ is put to death okay is largely because he says that i am the son of god right yeah and of course that is because of some kind of cult that they have in uh, there were many cults at the time of christ that's much much later than the exodus right that is uh, they believed that the son of man would come and save them from the romans right yeah so this idea of a belief that people have that somebody will come and save us right so that's something else that happens they've had one kind of freedom they are okay from the egyptians but now the romans have come and colonized them right and that's in a much later period that's at the time of christ right yeah so the idea of belief the idea of salvation the idea of freedom right how are we going to be saved how are we going to be free right and you have the faith in god that god will take you through all your troubles and all your uh, miseries right and the symbolically the journey through the desert is a purificatory kind of journey at one level right so when we're talking about literature we're talking about how am i purified when all this tribulation goes right or we have this fantastic uh, kind of question that is normally asked when you uh, uh, when you talk about leah are more sinned against than sinning right that's what leah says right so the question is uh, and when we come back to job we'll have this uh, when we go to job we'll have this idea that why am i uh, suffering right yeah and the understanding of suffering was a person who has sinned god makes the person suffer right so that's the old kind of view which today of course with modern rationality and science we don't believe it right yeah but there are a lot of people in india who believe that god has punished you right and that's why you're you're suffering right and in, in the jewish religion and in early christianity and some versions of christianity till today people think that sickness is a kind of a punishment from god right so these are a lot of beliefs which are present among the christians and among the jews right and when we're talking about exodus the idea of freedom is a important kind of sociological and psychological kind of understanding of the world right because the idea is god is supposed to be the supreme ruler above all other rulers right so any other ruler that's when you have what you call jihad right or if in the wrong sense of the term right the laws of the country don't apply to me and that's what the jews think about right okay and the jews would uh, always say that right that cop talking about god's laws and man's laws right and a lot of christians also would perhaps believe the same thing right yeah and uh, a lot of puritans you actually have that in ben johnson if you study ben johnson's alchemist right the the puritans actually believe that the the ways of god are different from the ways of men and higher right so i will listen to god and not the land 
of the law of the state, right? So that's the kind of conflict that takes place uh, from the the Jews, right? Yeah, you have that in Samson Agonestes, right? Yeah, you have so today, of course, when you study Milton Samson Agonestes in a literature department, right? There's a big question about it in Britain because is that the first kind of suicide bombing, right? Yeah, because Samson pulls down the temple, right? So that's a story in the Bible, right? Whether it's true or not, I don't know. And I'm not even here to talk about the truth of the matter. But the idea is, as a symbol, right? And as a story, what is it telling you, right? It's telling you, go and have what you call suicide bombing, right? Yeah, because he destroys himself and he destroys all the Philistines, right? Yeah. So uh, these are issues that keep coming back, right? And the idea is that the Exodus is uh, a, a kind, the word the Exodus is used for huge migration of populations, right? Yeah, so you have maybe 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 people marching from one part of the world to another, right? Which we see today again and again, right? And that's why we had uh, all the people who think uh, in uh, for other people, right, had protest about the CAA, NRC, and NCP because one of the important things is people today, we are not talking about the biblical times when the idea of demarcation of country didn't exist, right? The idea of the modern state, etc., comes much after that, right? Where you having a, you have a fixed territory and you have boundaries and you have laws and the, the idea of the sovereignty of the state and all these good things come in, right? Yeah. Otherwise, when you look at, uh, without the Bible, without any kind of religious baggage, when we look at the idea of the human being, we are talking about human beings as hunter-gatherers, right? And then the later phase as, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, whatever the name is, yeah. the second wave, yeah, the, the third wave, right? Toffler, Alvin Toffler is telling you that the first wave is the migratory wave, the second wave is when people start settling down to agriculture, and the third wave is the technological wave, right? Yeah. So, uh, fourth wave, of course, will be the digital wave, etc., right? So, we're talking about how uh, civilization has pro progressed, right? And we don't have uh, this kind, and even the Jews were actually tribes, right? We know that. Right? And the idea of the Exodus is also looked at as these huge group of migratory tribes who at one level, at one point of time, decide to settle down in a place. Right? Yeah? So if you want a very non-religious uh, and uh, very neutral kind of reading, yeah, uh, it is that this is a story about a migrant race of people. Right? Who migrated for? Of course, if you talk about the idea of the troubles that they have in Egypt, right, and why they're migrating, we might think of the Rohingyas, or we might think of the Ugirs, or we might think of any kind of people who migrate because of religious or other kind of persecution, right? Yeah. And the Jews, of course, sadly to say, have been uh, facing all this kind of migration again and again and again, right? Yeah. Whether it's with Russia and Europe, whatever it is, right. Uh, they've been uh, forced to flee their own land and the sad thing is for more than 3,000 years they've been uh, dominated by uh, forces 
that are from outside. And even now, uh, when you have the Israelite government, they're not the local people, the outside, right? And they still have a lot of bloodshed. And it's, it's not a peaceful world at all, right? For 3,000 years, if you, you are always ruled by other people, right? And even now you're ruled by other people in the name of saying that you're free, right? Yeah, and in the name of the Bible and in the name of your religion, right? When you get and settle all the Jews from around the world in a piece of land which is uh, called Palestine, right? Yeah, and you have already people with other religions like uh, the Arabs and the Christian, uh, the Arabs uh, uh, who are Muslims, and you have also Christians, and you have also Jews who are traditional Jews from the same region or uh, ancestrally haven't moved, right? Yeah. So, and you have this outside thing called Israel or this kind of the Zionist uh, kind of establishment of the Israeli state, right? So that's a plot of land which is very problematic, right? And we find that the Bible is talking about Lebanon. Today, all these places are in trouble, right? Yeah, they're talking about uh, the settlers of Le Lebanon. They're talking about a peaceful kind of place, right? Yeah, so that is not happening. And we begin to wonder what exactly is there, right? Yeah, so uh, that's one. And of course, we have the idea of uh, the river Nile, right? Turning to blood, right? And we also have the idea of uh, the the Dead Sea party, right? And they're walking through uh, the sea, right? And the the sea, uh, the the walls, uh, uh, the waves of the sea, and the waters recede, and they have a pathway for the Israelites to pass through, right? And then uh, the Pharaoh and his, uh, and his people are coming after that, and then you have. Uh, this idea of uh, commanding the waters to go back, right? And that's by Moses and Aaron, right? And uh, all that kind of thing. And a lot of the Egyptians are killed over there. And then you have something called the golden calf. The, the golden calf is a kind of a mythical symbol or it's uh, it's against what you, what you call the, the idea of the Jewish God who has no form, right? Yeah? And the idea is you have human beings who want to have a tangible form of God, right? So what is important over here is we're looking at human beings, right? So when we're reading the text, right? And of course, I'm sure that I'm going to step on many religious people's legs by telling them all this, right? But the question is a lot of human beings, as far as human beings are concerned, right? Uh, the abstract God, the idea of God and all that is fine, right? And of course, the idea of the personalized God is something that comes out of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, right? Yeah, the idea of a personal God, uh, unlike what we have in uh, India, right? That is this whole idea of a cosmic force and uh, all these kind of understandings, which we look at from Eastern religion point of view, right? Yeah. So the idea is God is not a person. God is something uh, impersonal and uh, a principle and all those very complex notions that we have of religion in the East, right? Uh, that's in, uh, in India, China and all these kind of places. And uh, as opposed to the Middle Eastern religions, right? You have the idea of the personal God. So God is a He. God is the Father, right? Yeah, a formless Father, a figureless Father, a head, yeah? But the idea of the Father figure 
And it, that, of course, becomes problematic because that's very patriarchal, right? And we have all these issues also with the idea when we're talking about all that, right? 